what does it take to live or stay anchored in that new foundation? Many of you may remember Jim's talk from the year 2000 of Frequency of Change for New Millennium. And he talked about over the next 15, 20 years about in this frequency of change, even though it's dealing with the evolutionary process, each of us, of course, has to walk through that as well on our own process of liberation that transcends the evolutionary process. But in that talk, he shares about the changes that are taking place on a macrocosmic level. But what's important to realize is that each of us inside on our own microcosmic level are going through the same thing. But we have to just look at our own personal lives and begin to let go of all that is going on in the outer to become more in touch with or aware of what that is going on in our own inner kingdom. But there is this process, whether it's mac macrocosmic or microcosmic, whether it's the outer or the inner, that we need to begin to look at and realize that the outer macrocosmic is really just a mirror, a reflector for us to become more aware of what is going on within ourselves. That truly all that is out here truly lies within. And all we have to do is go within to really know what that is. The more we chase after it out here, the more we'll be distracted. And the further from the truth, we'll move. But the more we turn into ourselves, the more we'll become aware and know what that truth is. But there's this process that it takes in order to be able to go within to really know the truth of who we are. There's always a giving and a receiving. There's always a letting go in order to receive. What is that letting go, though? Well, another way we could say that is forgiveness. Just like I said earlier, hey, forgiveness. Since we're going to have that new five-step process of forgiveness that I actually received a very in-depth level of forgiving back in the year 2000, right after I received the mantle from Jim, Spirit started bringing me into all these other experiences to help me understand to a greater depth as well as just my own inner experience of my own soul's liberation. But that process is all about forgiveness. Or we could say simply letting go. But what are we doing when we forgive or we let go? Aren't we making space for God by doing that? Think about it. Think of all the old religions, traditions, rituals where there would always be a sacrifice. Or it used to be human sacrifice. Then it turned to animal sacrifice. Then it became just offering food up to the gods. Right? So there's always this outer ritual of giving up something. What is Lent? Give it up for Lent, right? What do people do when they're fasting? They're giving something up. For what? A cleansing? A letting go? A release? Of all the karmic baggage or what we call weight? My joke of calories is Cal Naranjan, you know, which is another name in India for Lucifer or Satan. What do we do when we exercise? We burn calories. So when we do exorcisms, we're burning off cal. <laughs> I really still believe there's something there, even though I make jokes about it. 
Again, the microcosmic and the macrocosmic. But we have to begin to look at that process, not only to understand it, but the understanding now gives us the ability to do it. And that's the key. And here we try to give that understanding so that you know now what you can do for yourself in order to do the process to experience that which you're seeking. And in this case, if you come to ILM, hopefully that's God that you're seeking because that's really what we're doing here. So let's begin to look at this process of letting go or forgiving. Jim used to talk about it a lot over the years, especially in the 90s and the beginning of the millennia here, about creating a space. When you let go of something, you've got to replace it with something else. But first, we've got to look at what we're letting go of. And why are we letting go of that? And what is it you want to replace it with? And why do you want to replace it with that? We all have things in our life that are important to us, that have value. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. We wouldn't be participating. But there's something there that it gives us value. Think about it. Even addictions, alcohol, food, drugs, sex, even our addictions, they have value. Otherwise, why would we participate in it? Even if we hate it, we judge ourselves for it, but yet we continue to do it. If it didn't have value for us, why would we continue to participate even in the things we judge or fear as negative and bad for us? There is something of value there. But have we bothered to look at what that is, to learn, to discover what that value is? Why do I keep doing this even when I don't want to? But the same is true for the things that we do like in life. Why is it the things we really want and like in life seem to be harder to do where the things we want to get rid of and we don't like in life we can't seem to stop doing? I know it's really effed up, right? This world is backwards. It's a reflection. It's very confusing because we're always looking in the mirror and judging what we see. So the experience in this world is more what we call negative, which has that element of fear and judgment againstness that creates a state of imbalance, misalignment, which creates disturbance, stress, failure, if you want to call it that, where things start to break down. But not realizing when things start to break down, well, what is that? Isn't something breaking down a letting go process? Whereas it breaks down, it begins to fall apart. And as it falls apart, what? There's nothing to hold on to. It has to dissolve, drop away. So even built into the negative process is still a letting go of forgiveness that takes place seemingly beyond our own will, out of our control. Do we really have any control to begin with? Or are we always just struggling, struggling to gain control when maybe the real game is to let go of control? Oh, maybe there's something we can let go of or forgive is our control. But we're so afraid of letting go of our control because in everything, what? 
will break down and fall apart and then we'll lose the very thing we think has value that we want so desperately? I feel like I'm almost going crazy and looping on myself just hearing myself saying what I'm saying right now. But that's what happens. Our mind gets involved. It starts now looping and looping where even the words, like I'm saying now, can begin to twist and put us downward spiral where we begin to wonder, is there any way out? There is a way out. And that way out is simply to let it all go. To let it all go. But how do we let it go? You just let go. If you're hanging on to something, you let go. That's it. You let go. How come it's not so easy then just to let go? Because we're still gaining value. Not realizing most of life, I dare say 99% of it, not just 90, 99% of life is unconscious. We live unconsciously. That's so why I make the jokes when people talk about near-death experience, like Jim was sharing earlier, I called it a near-life experience, because he was really more awake to spirit, and when we come in the body, we're more asleep or dead to spirit. The truth of what life is. No matter what it is, we've got to begin to look inside and how this process works. It's going on even though we're unconscious. But if we can begin to at least just say, okay, I don't understand it. I don't get it. It scares me. It confuses me. But you know what? I can let go anyway. I don't need to control it. And if you look around, you realize you really can't anyway. Life goes on even when you try to not participate. You try to stop. It keeps going anyway. It's funny, people say, yeah, the world just goes by. Does it really? You're still along for the ride regardless. The world doesn't really go by you. But we, what we may miss is the opportunity to catch spirit as spirit goes by to give us a lift out of here. But again, how can we catch that ride with God to get that lift out of here the true Uber, because <laughs> it's Uber transcendental, transcendental. We have to let go. God gives us choice, freedom of choice. And we go, okay, do I want to keep hanging on to what I think is valuable here in the world? Not just physically, but my own belief systems and thoughts, my feelings. Look at how much we do on a feeling level, just out of our emotions how much we're hanging on to because we're always seeking feeling good, happiness, joy, emotionally, and doing everything we can to avoid anything disturbing, hurtful. We avoid those conversations, those experiences in the world that create reaction and emotionally we get all upset. But yet it's there. So there's some kind of value we're getting out of it, unconsciously. 
And that's why it's so hard to let go, because most of it's running unconsciously. We all want to let go of all these disturbing feelings, all the disturbing thoughts or the stinking thinking. We all want to let go of that, but yet we can't seem to, because most of it, uh, like I said, I dare say 99%. Why do I say that? Because I had an experience years ago where literally the Holy Spirit shared with me, I've experienced everything, but I remember less than 1%. That means I'm pretty ignorant, stupid, and unconscious, and only have less than a 1% level of awareness, yet I've experienced God in all of God's fullness. But yet, that's what's going on for all of us here. So we're a bunch of little pea brains or morons, right? Pretty much. Are you Mormon? No, I'm a moron. It's a new religion. Oh, my God, all humanity's in this religion. But yet, we refuse and deny how much we don't know acting like we know it all or we're trying to know it all, thinking that somehow that's going to save us or make us feel better. We think the more we know, the better we'll be. Not realizing that's the game of the mind and a protective mechanism for the emotions and for the body, just the survival, the comfort, thinking the more we know, the better we feel the safer we are, that the body's going to be okay, it'll live forever. We would want to live forever in all this, right? But life's going to bring us on the journey, the ups and downs, until we've had enough of the highs and the lows, until we're just sick of it. Fortunately or unfortunately, that is truly the case. That as we get sick of it, or simply bored with it, we've experienced enough of the good stuff, we're bored with the good stuff, so we go create some negative stuff till we get bored with the negative stuff. Until we come to a place of like, okay, what else is there? And then we're willing to move on. That moving on is that point of true forgiveness where we really let go. But remember, if we really truly want God or something else that we're pursuing, we've got to remember there's the other flip side of that which we want to let go of and what can we do to let it go in order to have this. We have so much space inside of us. In this creation, it's finite. In God, it's infinite. In this creation, it's finite. So in that finite, if we're already full, is your glass half empty or half full? Well, it's completely full, maybe full of shit, but nonetheless, it's full. Okay, so let's let go of some other shit so we can put something more loving in there, to say the least. But that's it. Let go and fill it with loving, right? We hear that. We've heard that over and over. But do we do that? Do you go let go and forgive? Do you journal at home? Do you meditate? Do you just save it for retreats or workshops or right here in class? I see some of you with journals. I do it whenever it shows up. 
any time of the day. I give it devoted attention in my meditation every day, but any time of the day it shows up, and especially when we're in gatherings like this or retreats where we focus purposefully and intently on these things. But most of the time when we say we'll fill that space up with something after we let go of something else, what do we usually do? We fill it up with something of the world or our feelings or our thoughts instead of really filling it with loving. Because it's so, that loving is so intangible to this mental, emotional, physical self. You know what's the old saying, letting go of one evil for another? Okay, I'm not an alcoholic or a drug addict anymore, but now I'm a chain smoker and I eat donuts all the time. <laughs> That's a lot of what happens. That's the nature of this beast, this physical animal. Well, part of it is in not only not denying or avoiding the reality of what goes with this physical beast that we all are living in is to come into acceptance of it. No longer to avoid or deny the process that takes place in this consciousness we call the human. To begin to move into acceptance is the first step. It's the beginning of being able to even go into forgiveness. How can you forgive if you have no idea what's going on, but even when you start to have an idea of what's going on, how can you forgive it if you're still in avoidance and denying it? We have to move into accepting it, to be honest, to look at what really is going on and begin to understand and accept the process once we move into acceptance, we actually empower ourselves now to be able to forgive, to be able to let go. Because we don't realize in this reflective process that is magnetic and polarity, positive, negative, literally magnetism, in denial and avoidance, it actually energizes the magnet that keeps the very things to us that we want to let go of. And it is only through acceptance does it finally now allow that magnetism to discharge? And it is in the discharging of that magnetism then that now frees up that polarization that attracts, us, attracts it to us to be able to let it go so it's free. It's now free. But now the question is, do we go out now and remagnetize and draw something else out of the mind emotions of the world to replace that which we just let go of? Or do we say, okay, God, I'm done with this. Instead of looking to replace it with something out here, let me look up to you and let your loving now fill and replace that which I've let go of. So there's no longer a magnetic charge. We depolarize it by doing those processes. And this is why meditation is key. The action of meditation we do itself is automatically bringing God in, filling those spaces inside of us, even unconsciously. Even a lot of our letting go is unconscious. We may just happen to be aware of when something releases in our lives because something changes 
And it's the change we recognize in our life where we have the awareness that that's taking place. Unless you really do focus in meditation and have those inner experiences where you're aware of it in truth inwardly. So jumping back a sec, when I talked about all these rituals throughout the ages, traditions, rituals of making an offering to God or the gods, is all about letting go. We have to be willing to give something up in order now for God to fill these spaces. Because as long as those spaces are full with all this other stuff of the world, whether it's mental, emotional, imaginary, or physical, we have to make the choice of giving it up to God to make an offering. To make an offering. Well, in church, what do they do? Pass the dish. Here, make an offering. Make a donation. Give us your money. Well, most people are attached to money, aren't they? Do you have attachment to money? No, I don't have an attachment. Well, then why don't you give it all to me then? <laughs> really? You think I'm joking? Why don't you just give it to me? Or are you attached to your money? Those attachments, it doesn't matter if it's money, food, shelter, anything. Those attachments are what keep the soul anchored in this physical creation. That's why one of the simple things, we all understand money, it's a medium of exchange. So in this world, we can say, oh, here, I'll give you some money to receive this. By giving this up, I've created some space now to receive something else. Isn't that what buying and selling is? Oh, I want some food. I'm going to give you, go to the grocery store. Here's my money. I'm giving up my money. And now the space I gave up with the money with, now I can replace it with food. It's as simple as that. As simple as that. But do we approach our spiritual life that way? Do we approach God that way? To realize that there's an exchange here. There has to be something we're willing to give. That's why we all the time in here say, give it up to God. Give it up to God. Let go. Forgive. Release. You know the acronym, forgiveness, unconditionally, clears, karma. You all asleep or what? Okay. Forgiveness, unconditionally, clears, karma. Yes, we're all forgiving, letting go, but we really have to do this. That's what all the old traditions are in the rituals. We used to do the communion ceremony years ago. Write something on a piece of paper internally that we wanted to give up. Instead of doing like food, well, there's, I guess, the bread and the wine. In our case, it was pita bread and grape juice. But that was an outer symbol or ritual of what? When we let go of something of the world and create the space for God, then we receive now or the communion. It's all about, even in the Catholic Church, the wine. The wafer, what is it? The body, the blood of Christ. What is all that about? To now receive. Once we give something up, we now have created the space to receive that which is of spirit. The true communion, the divine communion. That's the real action of communication. That's what meditation and prayer is really about. 
true communication, the communion with God. So what are we willing to give up? We need to look at these things on a daily basis, a weekly, a monthly, a yearly. That's where it can help to have themes or intentions. Like I put out there, why not have 2019 be the year of forgiveness? We can give it a focus. Just like we have a monthly focus, a different theme every month. Well, you can have several. You can have a major theme, a sub-theme, a minor theme, something to keep you focused and practicing regularly. Because we have to have a direction to go, a path to walk, an avenue by which we can now move into that which we want. Realizing, though, that which we don't want, there's got to be the process of replacing that with that which we want. We're exchanging one thing for another. It's a medium of exchange. Instead of money, we use love. It's a medium of exchange. That's why we don't really ask for money here. We don't do donations, contributions. People are welcome to do that. Well, why don't we ask for that? Why don't we pass the dish every time? Because to us, that's a distraction from what really is spirit. Money is a piece of paper with ink on it. But yet we attach value to it. What kind of value do we attach to that medium of exchange we call loving? What kind of value do we attach to loving? That's what we need to begin to look at and understand how this works. If we want loving, we need to give loving. It is only one medium of exchange. There is nothing that is of the same value or comparison to exchange with. That's why it's often referred to as the pearl of great price. It is priceless because the value of it is beyond this creation, and there's nothing else in comparison that we can give to receive the value of that which is divine. That loving is the highest medium of exchange, the greatest value. That is no comparison in this creation. There's nothing we can truly give or exchange for that. You can't buy loving. But you can let go of the things that are in the way of you receiving that greater loving that you wish to receive. So what are you willing to give up or to let go? Are you willing to even give up your life? Aren't that all the good movies out there? I'll lay down my life for you. Off with their head. You know, the good old chivalry in the Renaissance age. That's a sign of devotion and loyalty. I'll lay down my life for what? For death. Doesn't make sense, does it? What's the value of life itself? Well, sometimes we have to die in order to realize the value of life. I don't want to steal too much of Jim's win, but even just a few weeks ago, 
he had an experience he shared with me, if it's all right if I say a little bit, mm -hmm. where he was shown that often a soul, before it's ready to walk this pathway of liberation, the lifetime before it gets initiated will often be a life where it commits suicide. Why? Because it is often when we reach the bottom of the barrel and devalue life and the purpose that it has for us, we have to sacrifice it. And it is in that ultimate sacrifice that we often experience the deepest pain, the deepest darkness, the aloneness, the separation from God before we're willing to finally look to God to begin to find value in life, to begin to discover the value that is there in living itself, even in this physical life. Because a lot of us could say, well, who cares about the body? Let it die. My spirit's eternal. It'll go on. But when we make statements like that, we don't realize we're here for a reason to live and to find the value in life in every expression. So if we devalue even our physical life, there's a devaluing of God in our consciousness. But that's part of our learning here in this physical creation. And it often takes the most dramatic, traumatic experiences of that devaluation and the pain and the suffering of that because of the separation we experience from God in that do we begin to finally realize we're at the bottom and the only way to go is up. And so we begin to look up. And as we do, we begin to see that inner light. Because the soul actually knows, as unconscious as we may be here in this physical creation, the soul of who we are still knows. Even though it's fallen asleep and forgotten, there's an inner knowing in all of us. It's just simply asleep, forgotten right now. Until something happens by the choices we make, to stir that awake. So following on Jim's experience, well, just last week I had one in a very different way. A lot of you have been hearing me share, maybe this is two years now, since I've gone all the way into the pit of hell that I've shared about, if you remember that at all. It was an amazing experience in itself. Scary as hell, right? Now I know what that means, actually. It's amazing, though. If you which you might at some point, I don't know, you may not need to. I have, just for the work I do. Literally, as I descended into the darkness and the pit of hell itself, as I was going down, 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 there was still enough dim light, kind of like a moonlight. You could still make things out, see things. As I was going down, I knew I was going down into the pit of hell as I descended. But what was amazing to me is I was seeing all the scenery along the way it was the same scenery I saw on my way when I went up to God. You ever seen pictures, the old Renaissance paintings, where they show layers and levels of billowy clouds and angels and teachers and ascended beings? Some of those old paintings, do you know what I'm talking about? Well, literally, those paintings are depictions of going through the realms in the heavenly worlds for those souls that have done that. 
And a lot of those great masters of art have been also masters of spirit that have literally painted the depictions of the inner experience. Well, you hear us say all the time in here, this world's a reflection. As above, so below. It's a reflection, a mirror image. Well, as I was going down in the pit of hell, literally, I saw all these layers of billowy clouds and angelic presences and beings on my way down that looked exactly like what I saw going up. But instead of all light and loving, this was dark and scary. But it was such an amazing image of reflection that was the same. And that's a lot of what confuses the soul here. Because a lot of what we see here is a lot of what it looks like in the spirit. The problem is it's a reflection. It's not real. But yet that trick of image we believe to be real, so we fall for the house of mirrors, the games of the world, believing that to be real. And so we get caught up in all this process here, which just pulls us down. What do we say? Sucks the life out of us. The more we believe it, the more attached we get, the deeper we descend into it to experience it more fully. And that bottom part, as I said, the value of life itself, we often have to now do the mirror image, which is the devaluation, and that's often where the suicide or homicide, death in some sort. That's why all the old sacrifices of life itself. But over the ages, as we've evolved from all the deathly sacrifices to now, what do we sacrifice now? Oh, maybe a thought, a feeling. I give up my stinking thinking. I give up emoting a certain way. Well, that is evolution. We've come a long way from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice to sacrifice of food to now we're starting to deal with giving up our thoughts and feelings. Don't you hear us all the time in here? Take responsibility for your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and your reactions. That's what we're talking about. So I know I didn't share it yet. I'll back up. So my inner experience last week, just a week or two after Jim's, different twists to all that. Literally, as I went down into this energy I've been talking about the last couple years where it's been really hard and stressful and dark for a lot of people, and I really am seeing that, obviously, not just on an initiate base with the several hundred of you that have been initiated, but also if we look around the globe and why I brought up Jim's talk, the frequency of change for new millennia, obviously we see on a global macrocosmic scale, like I was saying in the beginning, a lot of the disturbance going on in the world. And a lot of us, our own disturbance going on inside. So as I went into the core of that darkness in a different way where I just shared the story of the pit of hell on the macrocosmic level. Well, on a microcosmic level, I went into that which would be within myself, that part that is within each of us on an individual level. And as I went into that, I came to this core and it was like an avocado seed. You know those big seeds in the middle of an avocado? Instead of a little tiny one, it was a big seed. 
And I went into that, down in the gut, just energetically relaxed into it and allowed my consciousness to go in there. And as soon as I got there, well, a couple things. One, all of a sudden I was aware of what it was energetically, this energy that we've been dealing with for a while now. The lack of the will to live. The lack of the will to live. Anybody felt that way the last couple of years? Like you didn't want to be here? On an individual level, let alone when you look around the things going on in the world? The lack of the will to live. Well, when we have the lack of the will to live, isn't that often the time people commit suicide? Or even a lot of the shootings now, the homicides? All of that stuff has to do with the lack of the will to live because of the devaluation of life itself. But it is often in those worst places that we have to go to to be stirred or shaken awake, even if that means physical death. That's like the deepest shaking awake. doesn't sound like shaking awake. The shaking awake that we can experience here. But it is often at that bottom point where the real turning takes place. Because at some point in our soul's journey throughout this creation, there is going to be a turning of the soul. And in that turning is where now we'll begin to now begin the upwards movement back towards God. Jim often has called it in the past the 51% mark. Until we clear 51% of our karmas, we're not going to begin this pathway of liberation. That we've got to go all the way down, go through the worst, and then right at that turning point, that 51 is the turning. And in that turning is where we'll begin to now look to God. And that's when we'll begin to pursue now the way out. But now that we've accumulated so much on our way down, there's a lot to let go of. Now as we transcend and start to move our way back towards God, there's all this stuff we've accumulated on all these different levels of consciousness that in that journey back towards God, we've got to now walk through all of it. That's why they call it soul transcendence. We've got to transcend all that which we've descended through, that which we've created, all the baggage, all the attachments, good and bad. We've got to walk through it and learn from it. We've got to be willing to look. Do not deny or avoid. Look, accept it, learn from it. And ultimately in that, you're going to move into loving. Because in the looking, the accepting, the learning is where we'll finally forgive and let go. And now in doing that, it creates a space now for loving to fill those areas now that have been steeped, suppressed, oppressed in darkness. Yes, it's a long journey, a very long journey, according to here, not according to spirit. When you're talking about eternity, what's a few billion years? <laughs> Pretty long here. But that's this process here. 
That's the process. No matter where you are in the journey yourself. You wouldn't be coming here or even listening to us if you weren't one of those souls that has turned already and is on your return home to God now. Whether it's just at that 51% mark or if you're at the 99% mark and you're ready to finish that last 1%. doesn't matter. What matters is what are you doing? Where are you going? So what are you willing to let go of? What are you willing to give up to get God? There really is no timeline to this. It doesn't matter the timelines. You may think that matters, but it doesn't. We have to give up our attachments to the timelines in thinking what we think matters or how we feel about it or what we fantasize, we think we want, we desire. That creates attachment. I want this. I want that. Those attachments, we have to be willing at some point to give up, to let go of, if we're going to really free ourselves to be able to go to God. See, everybody here wants God, right? I mean, I see and hear so many groups out there, they want to bring heaven to earth, heaven on earth. That's the biggest illusion running, a lot of people quote Jesus. Well, didn't Jesus say, my kingdom is not of this world? Hello? Who missed that? Well, wouldn't people want to seek then, well, where is that kingdom Jesus is talking about? If my kingdom, that kingdom of God is not of this world, why am I trying to bring that kingdom here? Shouldn't I be going to that kingdom? Well, those are the smart ones that begin to figure that out and they begin to know true it pursuely. Wow, true it. I just did a new one. True that, true it pursuely. Pursue it truly. I love those tongue twisters like that. Just like instead of the river of loving, I say the liver of rubbing. <laughs> true it, true that. Well, literally, it is that pursuit of truth. At some point, we're all going to figure it out. But it's not a figuring it out because, believe me, the mind is pretty stupid when it comes to the wisdom of the Spirit. The soul in all of us truly is wise. But when it's asleep, we don't know that wisdom. We try to replace it with the mind, filling the mind, how much we know intellectually not realizing that that actually is hindering the process. Whereas if we go inside and meditate and wake up to God and our own divinity, the wisdom and the all-knowing of that would literally filter in and fill the whole consciousness, not just the mind, but even the emotions. Don't, isn't a big thing out there nowadays, emotional intelligence? Well, that loving fills everything. The wisdom of the soul fills all the levels of consciousness as we create the space. 
So a lot of what I've been talking about is what you could call the self-study part. You've heard us talk about this as a threefold path. Meditation and prayer, self-study and service, or I'd like to say selfless service. That self-study part is a big key factor where we're willing to really look at ourselves, the study of self. To thine own self be true. The study of self, know thyself. We've got to really look at ourselves. Pay attention. That's what we do in these classes. That's why we do retreats and workshops, to begin to really look at ourselves, the good and the bad. Can't avoid or ignore any of it. When we're really willing to look at all the parts of ourselves is where we really learn and grow. And in that, it empowers us to then make the choices to liberate the soul. Until then, if we choose a life of ignorance, ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> Why go for bliss when you could go for liberation? That empowerment of the self through self-study is the key component. But if you understand what I'm saying and you start to tie together meditation, self-study, and service, and start to see how those three interconnect, this trinity action, just like LAF, loving, accepting, forgiving, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Mother, Daughter, Holy Spirit, all of that. It is through that action that brings it together in the self. So we have meditation. Well, what do we do in meditation? We focus on God, waking up to God, loving God, we spend a lot of time focused on God, loving God, chanting the sacred name, which is sharing our loving with God. But that other part of receiving God's love for us, think about this. How can we receive God's love if we have the damn door shut because we're not willing to look at ourselves and take responsibility for our thoughts, feelings, actions, and reactions and learn and grow from all that? How can we receive God's love if we're not willing to do that? Not realizing we're actually keeping the door shut. So another way to look at self-study is the way by which we as a soul can take responsibility to receive God's loving. Not just take responsibility for our thoughts, feelings, actions, and reactions. By doing that is how we create the space to receive God's loving. So meditation, self-study, giving our love to God, receiving God's loving, and selfless service. What is that? But now sharing. Service is sharing our experience of our own awakening of giving our loving to God and receiving God's loving for us. You starting to see how this ties together? That's my hope and wish in the sharing today is that you can begin to integrate, understand, comprehend all these Trinity actions we've shared over the years of what all this means, how it all works together so that it becomes a cohesive whole that you can work with to liberate your soul. The action of the spiritual teacher the real spiritual teacher is the living Word of God. That living Word of God 
that speaks through every master that that word that God has placed that word in and through to work with the souls that are ready to come home and gives all the teachings, gives the sacred name of God to empower the soul to wake it up through meditation, gives the spiritual teachings, the self-study, so the soul can receive now and empower itself to break free of the karmic bondage of all the eons of experience, of baggage, of attachment. And then the service. For as the soul liberates itself, what did I say is the true only medium of exchange? But loving itself. The greatest service is to share that loving with one another. That service then can only come out of the soul's that truly do the first two steps. What do you think even Jesus was saying? He said, love God with all your body, mind, and soul. And then meditation, to love God with all your body, mind, and soul. What's the next one? To love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how can you love your neighbor as yourself unless you love yourself to self-study, to be able to love your neighbor, which is the service? He just simplified it to two steps. But I think too many people missed it, so we made it back to three steps. <laughs> Most people miss that love your neighbors yourself. Not only what it means, but how. So we're breaking it down to three steps, make it a little more understandable and doable. Because obviously a lot of people have kind of missed that, let alone the first one about going to the kingdom of God rather than trying to bring it here. But how are we going to do that if we don't even value the life we have? So we've got to begin to find value, to give value, to receive value for the life we have and the opportunity of life itself. And by practicing this threefold path that literally God has laid out for the soul to return home, wherever we're going to be just searching, wandering around the world, whether it's this world or another one, believe me, this isn't the first world we've been at. <laughs> I'm not going to go into all that because it gets pretty wild in a big distraction. And we've all been distracted Long enough. Chew that. So, what do you want? And what are you willing to give up to get that which you want? And I'm talking about spirit and God, but you could apply the same thing to this world. This world's a reflection. If there's something you want in this world and you want to go for it, by all means, go for it. Because we all have our karmic lessons to fulfill. And so in that, we also have to then go do those things. But the same is true in spirit. When you're really ready to pursue spirit and get God, this is the way by which to do that. But it is exactly the same principles and ways by which you fulfill yourself in the world or fulfill yourself in God. Same principles of life. Those principles apply across life itself. 
regardless of which level of creation that we choose to live that or to express it. Call them the laws of the universe. I don't read nearly as much out there like I used to, but the little bit I read, oh my God, I see so many people now as you move into this new age, all these self-help books, and even all these business people are all promoting all these new self-empowerment things because everybody's discovering there are certain key principles and laws of the universe that apply across the board to life itself, regardless of the pursuit in which you are chasing after. Most people are just chasing after the world and applying that to the world, and they're being successful at it. But then what? Well, we're doing the then what part. So go ahead and pursue what you want in the world. Fulfill yourself, because we all have the karmic lessons that come with that. But at some point, when you're really ready to now fulfill all of it, you'll begin the pursuit of God and now apply those teachings and principles to that spiritual journey. And we're here to assist with that, to give you the necessary resources for that and to empower you with the sacred name that God has given us to do, to share, to give. And it is our receiving and giving. But what do you have to give in order to receive? And that's the question you can work with. Maybe for the whole year. Maybe the rest of your life. For giving. And for receiving. You want to serve yourself and serve God? Really apply yourself and now live the teaching fully. And remember to meditate, because without the meditation, it'll never fulfill it. It'll always fall short. <laughs>